0: This morning, we're going to lay a focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, um, especially on his, His life and death, His resurrection, and as we said last week, His ascension, His ministry in heaven. The text I've chosen is in the book of Romans, so take a Bible, Romans 8, verse 34, Romans 8, verse 34. And if you're using a Bible that is in the pews, we're on page 1758. 1758. Let's bow our heads as we open God's Word. Father in heaven, we're opening your holy Word. So we need help. We need help to understand. And we probably need more help to actually apply these truths to our lives. So that in our lives, our characters will be molded and shaped day by day, week by week, into the lovely image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to say right at the beginning, Lord, that we just thank you and praise you from the bottom of our hearts for allowing your Son to come to this dark, sinful world. And to die an awful death on Calvary's cross. And the paradox is, Lord, that we are to celebrate the death of Jesus because without His death, we would all be lost for eternity. So we thank you, we praise you, and and uh, take these few words that are going to be said this morning, Lord, to shape us into the Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. Romans 8:34. Why don't you read it with me no matter what translation you have? Who is He that condemns Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us? The reason I felt impressed to take this verse and say a few words on it was that phrase right at the end where it talks of Jesus Christ interceding for us. It fits in very well with where we left the message last week with the Lord Jesus Christ ascending up to heaven and being exalted and also, of course, interceding as high priest for you and for me, those of us that are believing in Jesus. And this message is for those that believe in Jesus. So I hope the majority of you here this morning, I hope all of you, have come to the point in your life where you believe and you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to have a communion service, which simply means that we're going to take some symbols. talked a little bit about symbols this morning in the book of Revelation. Well, here's two other symbols. This bread and this grape juice symbolizing something of the Lord Jesus Christ symbolizing His life given for us on the cross. And we can read about that in places like Matthew 26 and and other places in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then in John chapter 13, we can also read about how Jesus washed the feet of the disciples because a huge issue with them was pride. And that can be a big issue for you and I. And I don't know of anything that can, can get rid of our pride quicker than focusing on Jesus Christ. The kind of life that He lived, the death that He, he paid for, for you and for me. So if any of you have a problem with pride, spend extra time looking at the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be transformed. You can't spend time with this book, truly wanting to know the heart of God and not be transformed, right? This is one of the great weaknesses now in the Christian church, that Christians are not spending the time they need to in the Word of God. This is God's love letter to us. It's, It's a way, whether we like God's way or not, it is a way that God has chosen to draw us closer and closer to Him. If somebody says, well, how do you know God's will? It's in here. And then, of course, when you come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and trust in Him, then God gives you the precious gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And He, obviously, is going to guide you and shape you and say, no, that's not a good decision and that is a good decision. You'll hear that still, small voice saying, this is the way. Walk in this way. It's the way to eternal life. Now in this passage here, Romans 8, verse 34, I could could bring in verse 33, though I haven't necessarily planned to do that. We're We're in a law court. We're in a courtroom. It's that kind of language. And... The Apostle Paul has been trying to show in eight chapters exactly what God did for us when Jesus died on the cross. When he lived for us, when he died for us, what's really the implications of that. So, he says in verse 33, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? God does the choosing. We do not wake up one morning and say, I think it would be a really neat idea to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. God has already placed His finger upon you. There's not a person in this room this morning, if you've come from your own volition, you've not been forced to come here by a parent or, or some, some other circumstance, but you come here of your own volition, that is God working in you. We have to recognize these are the ways that God, God works. So God chooses in verse 33, and God also justifies. And the only reason that God can justify the chosen ones is because the chosen ones have believed in God's greatest gift to the human race, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not just believing in Jesus as a good man. That's not the most important thing. We're believing in Jesus as the one that God the Father sent to die for our sins. Our sins were placed upon the innocent one. Isaiah 53, Galatians chapter 3, I think it is. So he who was without sin becomes sin for us in the sense that he takes our sins upon Himself. Now, He did that 2,000 years ago before you were born or before I was born. So all of your sins, past, present, future, are all laid on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? As we, take, as we partake in a little while of the emblems that I was just talking about, the bread and the, the grape juice, uh, do we believe that Jesus', uh, Jesus death was for us? For us. You know, when Jesus talks about that bread and wine, He says, this is for you. And I have preached some sermons specifically on that, for you. In a sense, Paul says the same thing in these passages here. The only reason that Jesus came and lived the perfect life He did was for you. And I would encourage you, there's two ways you need to think of this uh, salvation of Jesus. You can think of it in a corporate way. And the Bible does that when it talks of God's family, God's church. And you also can, can think of it individually. Now, some of, our, some of our people have a hard time believing that Jesus died for me. If I was the only individual on planet Earth, would Jesus really come for me? Absolutely, He would come for you. God loves you with an incredible love more than you can ever begin to, to, be, to understand. So Jesus has come for you, individualize it, make it it your own. So He lived the perfect life, and all, all of our sins were laid upon Him and He died that death on the cross. So here it says, after He talks in Romans 8 of the ones that are chosen, the ones that are justified, who is He that condemns? Now there's different ways of translating Christ Jesus who died. There's different ways you can ask it as a question or not. The idea that Paul seems to have in mind, is it possible that Jesus has a charge against us? It's kind of a strange thought, isn't it? Is it possible that the Lord, we know that God the Father, has just, through Jesus Christ, has justified us, But is it possible? Is there the the remotest? Paul is trying to find any possibility that the one who is in the courtroom could have any possible charge that would stick against the accused. And so he seems to be throwing in in verse 24, is there a possibility that even Jesus Christ could have such a charge against some of us? And then he he says here, In verse 34, Who is he that condemns Christ Jesus who died? More than that, who was raised to life. So he mentions the death, and of course, he's mentioned the death of Jesus many, many times in the book of Romans. So we're not going to necessarily dwell for just more than a few seconds there, but hey, no, Jesus can't have a charge against you because he died for you. But more than that, he was raised to life. Not just raised to life, as though this would be something pleasing to the Father or something that he had to do because he is, after all, God, but he's raised to life for you. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for you. He died. More than that was raised to life. Are you all looking at your Bibles now? Make sure I'm preaching the truth here. Note the steps, note the blocks, get them in your head. You need to do that. Because I tell you, if is anyone that condemns? Yes, there is. We know that the devil's going to try and do it even though since the cross it's not legit. But he'll do anything he can to discourage you, to depress you, to pull you down. We know that's his business, diabolos, the great accuser. Your enemies could accuse you. They could condemn you. They could say, well, Fred says he's this, this, and this, but look at how he lives. Even your own conscience can condemn you. 1 John, read 1 John. He deals with that. There must have been Christians that had very, very sensitive consciences in the first century. They had a hard time really believing that there's not something that could condemn them. So condemnation is the negative. The opposite of condemnation is what? The opposite of condemnation is? Justification. Romans 8.1 Go to the beginning of the chapter. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because they're justified through faith. It's as though God says, When the sinner, any sinners here this morning? In fact, some of you might wonder, I don't know that I even should take this bread and the wine. Let me encourage you that the bread and the wine is for sinners. So if there are any sinners here this morning, and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you need to partake of those emblems. But the one that is in Jesus Christ, the one that is... In fact, a better way of understanding what God has done for us is the phrase where Paul talks about in Christ Jesus. We have to back up to chapter 6 for that. It's a really important concept. Maybe the most important concept for God's people. That you are in Christ. So His life becomes your life. It's as though you lived... This is the way God views you is the way I'm talking now. The way God views you. What the judge in the courtroom says, is that the most important thing or not? You're not sure about that. Anybody been in a courtroom? Anyone been accused of anything? Defense can say what they want. Prosecution can say what they want. You can say what you want. But what counts is what the judge says. He has the final word. And the judge says, No condemnation, the judge says, justified by trusting in Jesus Christ. So, Christ's life is your life, Christ's death is your death, Christ's resurrection is your... What about this being at the right hand of God? What does that tell us? That takes us back to last week's sermon. It tells us that we know that his death was acceptable to God. More than acceptable. Why? Because he's raised from the dead. But more than that, he's exalted up to the very right hand. A position of high honor with God. And then he adds to that and is also interceding for us. And it's that little phrase is the reason that I chose this verse today. We could have gone into Hebrews. Hebrews 7.25, Hebrews nine. 24, I think it is, where we have this big discussion on Christ being a high priest. All of these are important texts because they talk about what your representative... Somebody asked this morning, well, what does it mean that Jesus is interceding for us? Does it mean that He's twisting the father, Father's hand and saying, hey, Fred, He's trying really hard and, and He's trusting in Jesus. Come on, Father, give Him a break here. Is that the, what Jesus is doing with, with the Father? Is that the way we to understand it? Not at all. Do you need power to live a godly life? That's what your intercessor is going to give you. And he's going to do that through the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is your representative. Everything that you need to live a successful life in this earth. And what, what do I mean by success? Does it, do I mean that you all become rich, that you all have perfect health? Success in God's terms is learning about why you've been placed on planet earth. What is God's plan for you? What is God's purpose for you? Are you going to, in the few years that you have on this earth, are you going to link up with God through Jesus Christ or are you going to go your own way? Your own way is the wide way. It's where the majority are on. And it's the way that leads to the destruction. The narrow way the way of Jesus, which he also calls the abundant life. So don't anyone ever give you the impression that the narrow way is the miserable, sad way. Those of us who have walked and are walking this narrow way can testify that Jesus' way is the way of joy and happiness and peace that passes all understanding. Let me close with this statement here. It's... it's in the context of Christ interceding for us, Christ is the connecting link between God and man. He has promised his personal intercession by employing his name. So, his name has something to do with his intercession. He places the whole virtue of his righteousness on the side of the suppliant, the one who prays to him. Christ pleads for man, and man in need of divine help pleads for himself in the presence of God, using the power of the influence of the One who gave His life for the world. And as we acknowledge before God our appreciation of Christ's merits. See, how can you appreciate Christ's merits unless you dwell on His life? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The life of Jesus. The implications of His life and His death? The writings of Paul. The writings of the Apostle John. Peter, and so on. So as we, uh, uh, um, we acknowledge before God our appreciation of Christ's merits, fragrance is given to our intercessions. Oh, who can value this great mercy and love? And as we approach God through the virtue of Christ's merits, we are clothed with His priestly vestments. So, so now the language is we're clothed with the clothing of Jesus. He places us close by His side, encircling us with His human arm while His divine arm, He grasped the throne of the infinite. Is Jesus the God-man? So here she, she, she speaks about the divine and the human in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ as being part of His intercession for us. He puts His merits, as sweet incense in a censor in our hands in order to encourage our petitions. He promises to hear and answer our supplications. Any of you got any needs in this world? How much are you coming before the Lord Jesus Christ? Not dwelling on your issues, on your problems, on your challenges, but focusing on the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. His holiness, His perfection, His righteousness. Thanking God, praising God. This is one of the reasons for prayer that we can get into, into, on the same wavelength as God. And then coming before God with your concerns. How do you think Jesus is going to respond? How do you think the Father is going to respond? Just shrug their shoulders and say, Pah, let's pass on this one. Fred has been a bit of a rascal this week. Let's, uh, let's not give him any help. Yes, Christ has become the medium of prayer between God and man. He also has become the medium of blessing between God and man. He has combined divinity and humanity. Men are to be co-laborers with God in the salvation of their own souls and then make earnest, persevering, untiring efforts to save those who are ready to perish. One of the great contributions of uh, Ellen G. White is the very fact that she doesn't forget about the lost. And it's very easy for church members, pastors, congregations, denominations, to dwell upon themselves, lay the focus on self. And in the Seventh-day Adventist church, we want to lay the focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to lay the focus on lost humanity. Who is going to get the word out to the lost people in Anderson, Cottonwood, and Reading? Who's going to do that? Are we going to wait for the Baptists to do that? What about the Mormon church? Should we go knocking on their door? and say, hey, you need to be out in the community telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ. The onus is upon us. We understand these truths, and we dwell, and we glory. We glory in these truths. Don't we glory that Jesus died for us? Isn't that what this whole service is about today? That He was raised from the dead for us? That He has sending it up to God for us? He's interceding for us? Isn't this glorious glorious truth well let's make sure we share it with someone what people don't want to hear well have you tried Barney tried and he told me about it on Tuesday evening and I tried to encourage Barney and I said Barney you don't know how God can take those few words that you shared with a waitress you just don't know none of us will know I mean, some of us will know because we see someone come to Christ. And we see them get baptized. And we see them follow Jesus Christ for the rest of their life. And we disciple them. So some of us have fruitage in that sense. But the majority of our witnessing, we're not going to know until we meet God in glory. And then maybe someone will say, like we heard from Sandy, hey, do you remember when you sent that little card to me? Did I do that? Yeah, do you remember when you gave me that cup of cold water? Did I do that? These are the ones that Jesus say blessed, inherit uh, the redemption that I have worked out for you on Calvary's tree. So as we depart now, and it tells you in your bulletin where we need to go to. So take your bulletin. The women, Hinton Hall East. The men, Hinton Hall West. Families in the junior room, which is out to the left here. And children, uh, story and song time in room one. So we're going to separate in just a moment and go to those places. Some of you may want to stay in the sanctuary. And then after 10, 15 minutes of washing one another's feet as Jesus Christ encourages us to do. Isn't that a strange thing to do in the 21st century? Except Jesus told us to do it and says that we would be blessed if we do it. And hey, if you feel that you've, you've let your Lord down, you've let your fellow man down, when we're washing one another's feet, that's the time to take care of that. Right? When you come back in here, you're coming back to celebrate. So that's when we should see lots of smiles on our faces. It's as though we leave the sin outside these doors. And when we come in here to celebrate the bread and, the, and the, the grape juice representing the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, then we're here to celebrate. Is it solemn? Yes, it is. Should, it, should we be joyful? Yes, we should. Let's ask God to help us to understand uh, what that means. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we separate now, We ask for you to guide your people. There's a lot of truths that we need to understand, that we need to apply. But Lord, when it gets down to Christianity 101, we are the sinner, Jesus is the Savior. And we're celebrating today the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you over and over again from the bottom of our hearts for the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. May he come back soon. In his name we pray. Amen. God bless. Let's uh, separate at this time.